Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. In school, it's just not encouraged. We're crying out for young people to do apprenticeships. What you need to do is be on my side. Every time that it happens, we have to talk about how the good men feel. They sent me on for psychiatric assessment and they said that the thing that's going to fix it is housing. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818-969696. Extra WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Oh, what a weekend. What a weekend. Where did it go? As a Monster Rugby fan, that was an absolute sickener on Saturday. Incredible match. They left everything out there. Oh, what a horrible way to go out of a competition with a marvellous afternoon. And they enjoyed it in sunshine. Brilliant, brilliant sunshine. Then this morning, I puts on the shorts. I decided to break out the legs for the season. And look at it. Ah, there's Sod's Law for you. Uh, it'll clear up. Good morning. 0818-969696. Before we do anything uh, today, I just want to mention uh, at the opening of the programme that our thoughts this morning are with our former colleague and our friend Deirdre O'Shocknessy. Uh, Dee's beloved mum, Marion, passed away at the weekend after a lengthy illness. Uh, I met Marion a number of times. She was warm, engaging, interesting and funny and full of wisdom and she and Deirdre were very close always supported and encouraged each other through life Dee if you're listening or if any of your friends are listening we'll pass this on your 96 m family is with you at this painful time we're also thinking of your dad Dermot of your two boys Marion's grandchildren Ferdy and Oscar and of course of Brian too and uh, may Marion rest in peace and a sad weekend uh, for the family Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Some news breaking in the last few hours that President Joe Biden uh, will visit Ireland in October, and that indeed he will visit Cork, or is hoping there is great hope there that he will visit Cork. Now the Taoiseach was interviewed with this this morning on national radio, and and wasn't inclined to commit to it. Um, but John Lee, who's executive editor of DMG Ireland Group, executive political editor, joins me. John, good morning. Good morning, PJ. What can you, you tell me, sir? Are, 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 is, are they looking for sure at coming or what's happening? Firstly, can I pass on my condolences to Deirdre's family as well? I know her well from um, uh, dealing with her on your show and others. Sure. So sure. Um, wish her the best. Uh, sorry, y- your question was, sorry. Uh, is this confirmed or is it just speculated now? Oh, well, it's never speculation. The, the, the genesis of this would be in 2000, um, from our story's point of view, would be in t- 2019, I think it was now. Yeah, 2019, the same security sources that were asked to prepare for the visit of um, Donald Trump, um, they came to me then and explained to me in detail what the plans plans were in six weeks. So that was April 2019, and then six weeks later, uh, Donald Trump came. Pla- plans and arrangements were a lot more advanced then because he had a solid date for his travel, which was to coincide with the 75th anniversary of D-Day. And if you remember, he then stayed in his hotel in Dunbeg. Yeah. 
um, I was fortunate enough to be invited to the, the well, half invited to the lunch and, and met and met the president. Then, uh, th- those same security for, uh, sources then have uh, explained to me that they've been asked by their superiors to prepare for an October visit by Joe Biden uh, to Ireland, and um, they expect the Secret Service to come in the coming few weeks to assist them in that preparation, and they'll. Um, They'll research routes. Uh, um, there are less than um, uh, optimistic jo- um, jobs done, like assess routes for evacuating people to hospitals, that kind of thing, mm. accommodation and everything else, with a view to coming in October. Now, the rider that hangs over all of this is Ukraine. And yeah. Joe Biden, as he still is the leader of the Western world, We'll have to um, keep keep an eye on that situation, to put it in a colloquial term. But if 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 anything of huge um, proportions escalated ex- escalated there at any stage, there would be there would be a pullback. As much for any any other reason that if things got particularly bad there, and it's not as if they're not bad now, um, the optics of what we perceived as a homecoming visit would be would be questionable. Yeah. So um, that, that does govern everything. But your understanding from the security days. connections is that he has been asked to, they've been asked to look at Cork. Absolutely, as the, as the, as the Taoiseach's home city, um, it would be, um, it would be expected that, um, the Taoiseach's uh, political people would want to bring him to Cork. So the three locations were um, Dublin, Louth, where Joe Biden has significant ancestral um, connections, and Cork City as well. I see, I see. And they will confirm this when? Is that obviously they're scoping now, and Ukraine must be kept in mind, but they'll confirm when, or when would they confirm? Well, again, going on on the on the most recent exclusive precedent that I had, which was the the um, the the Donald Trump visit, it's late in the day for security reasons. the The U.S. presidency isn't isn't in favour of giving big um, big lead-ins to its to to their trips. As far as I know, for instance, recently um, after the war in Ukraine broke out. I don't think there was any advance notice of um, of Joe Biden travelling to Europe as he did mm. for a NATO meeting. But um, um, we're talking during the summer. Right. I'll I'll update your show when the when the Secret Service arrived. I would, and, I uh, would really uh, appreciate uh, that. John. Just one thing. Uh, well, was they guard- did say to me as yeah. early as next month would would would, would the Secret Service uh, arrive to scope out um, facilities, and that's a big enough deal. Good. Um, you know, there's a significant amount of federal agents come over to to um, to start the work. And if you remember, you've been around PJ for a few of these visits. How the the hard, military hardware and everything yeah. that accompanies it. So it's it's not a small it's no, not it's a small thing. It's astonishing. They bring their own cars, and and, and it's it's just astonishing. I guess then, as this is happening, the the, I mean, it, it, was he the most unlucky man in America to test positive for COVID the night before he was due to go to the Oval Office? I don't suppose Michal will be going to the Oval Office as he shook then, given that he's supposed to step down from that office in, in December. Uh, as is, as you can expect, when you're dealing with um, political people, as I was over um, last week, the, the 
the consensus I found at the upper levels of government that was that was no. Now, people closer probably to to Michal Martin uh, in his off in his team um, are still holding holding out optimism for that. Uh, but the the consensus I found was that you know there is there is a there is a belief and probably great jealousy uh, in other countries around the world that. Ireland is afforded a great, great honour. Mm-hmm. I, I think, I could be correct, you might correct me, I think we're the only nation on earth that has a set concrete date in the in the US president's um, calendar. It's certainly to, a very short list the, if there are others anyway, put it that way. I think, you know, maybe Israel get there once a year, but I don't think that it's not set in, it's not set in stone. So um, for it to happen again is unlikely. Um, there is still a little bit of hope that um, maybe around UN time, um, the Taoiseach might be in um, in New York and Washington in July. That perhaps they could do it then. But there isn't there there isn't much optimism that that could happen again. And, and I think we can understand that. But it's a it's a fairly acceptable compromise if we get Joe Biden. Here. Yeah, I think that's how people. Yeah, there, would is, see. there are political reasons in the United States um, for a Democratic president. Uh, approaching midterm elections there as he is in November sure. uh, and they are under pressure poll ratings are not good particularly yep. for um, Joe Biden's vice president uh, Kamala Harris and um, it, it for for him to appear in the home country uh, in in October is always a huge political boost for for a democratic president in particular so there are there are good, pragmatic, solid reasons for him to want to do that as well. What What would he do, say, in Cork? What, what I mean, obviously, visit the Taoiseach. I mean, he's hardly going to pop out to Silver Manor and rock up to the front door for a cup of tea. But, I mean, he he, he will meet him, I suppose, in his hometown. I suppose you never know. Um, you know, um, Joe, ba- um, sorry, uh, Barack Obama um, visited a, a, an until then rather unheralded part of Ireland Um in Offaly to meet his to meet his ancestors, um, I, I'm not I'm not of the understanding that Joe Biden and he's a classic Irish American politician that he finds a a connection in every every corner of the country. I haven't heard that he's any in Cork, mm. but you know um, I've covered a lot of these visits and um, the actual practical time the feet are on the ground in the town is not is not often that long yeah if yeah. you remember for instance barack obama i think i was discussing this with with the guardie on friday i think barack obama didn't even stay the night when he was here like, i could be corrected on that because it was an ash cloud incident yes um so he spoke in college green and um and uh hit the road pretty quickly Man- yeah yeah, uh, it's course, not. It, it, it's it's not anything more than perhaps speech uh, on the back of a lorry uh, in 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 the town, far more far more um, prestigious he than might, that. fish, maybe. Yeah, there used to be a photo opportunity with a pint. Um, yeah, so um, Hall's like local. He, he tells me uh, during lockdown he was having pints in the back of of a wall. Um, out of his summer home. So, um, whatever Mihal's regular is, um, yeah, Nemo maybe because I mean, Joe Joe's a fan of sport. Might head out. Might be a little pint to be had out. Nemo watching the under 17s training or something. Nice, you know. Maybe uh, <laughs> sure. All right, John. All right, John, I'll leave it there because the line's starting to break up. That's John Lee uh, from the uh, Irish Daily Mail. I mean, on Sunday, uh, Joe Biden's. 
advanced team are looking at Cork for the visit in October. That's that's what we know. Uh, and uh, looking to see what he might do if he came here. And I know it's music to one man's ears because on Friday I was talking to Jamie Guggen to mark Stuttering Awareness Day. And it's just over the weekend, Jamie, this news broke because you're trying to get Joe to come to Cork to support to support your your cause. Good morning. Hi, Peter. How is everything going? Good, good. This is this was music to your ears. It is amazing news. It is amazing news. We have campaigned very hard for the last two years, not only in Ireland, but also in America, to try and bring Joe Biden to Cork and to address uh, the issues around uh, stuttering so he can reach out to the 50,000 people in Ireland who have an issue with uh, stuttering. Yeah, yeah. The idea, the idea. It would probably be a very short visit, Jamie. A few hours at most. Maybe a visit to the Taoiseach in his hometown and whatever. But you'll go wherever he wants to be, and you just hope he'd, he'd meet and address you. I think that we all. I do think that we all kind of know that the president will be going to Louth to visit his DNA family, but we'll have to bring him to Cork to visit his uh, stuttering family, be there. <laughs> and there is a fantastic line for the Lord Mayor Colum Keller, if he ever wants to use it. <laughs> You're all prepared, Jimmy. Fair play to you. You're putting a lot... By the way, I, I don't know if I asked you, did you get an acknowledgement at all from the White House? Of your interest yes, in this? Uh, yes, we did. Uh, the, the invitation from a city and county united. Um, it is in the office of the president, and uh, it is to be considered uh, once a confirmed visit uh, is to be released. But uh, as far as what they are saying is that uh, uh, only until there is an official statement from the White House, there is no trip confirmed. But uh, there is acknowledgement of the invitation to President Biden and it is an issue that is very personal to him and we all know that he is the only world leader that can do this. Okay, Jamie, good to talk to you again. Uh, Jamie Guggen, who was with me on Friday for Stuttering Awareness, is part of a kind of a coalition of people trying to invite Joe Biden to come to Cork to address the issue of stuttering. I wasn't aware, I should have been I guess, I wasn't aware that Joe Biden had had uh, such difficulties with uh, stuttering or a speech impediment but that he's gotten to the point of being he's a fairly decent orator um, now with this, I didn't, wasn't aware of that at all that he'd overcome it. We'll see what happens. John Lee will keep us posted but it looks like Joe Biden could be coming to Cork in October. As Kevin says, it's important to get to the homeland with the midterm elections coming up. Very important to get to the homeland. Very important to have a successful visit to the homeland in the run-up to the uh, midterm elections. So we shall see how it goes. Uh, Casey says, I think it'd be a very normal one. Something like the time the Queen visited Cork because I'm sure these fellas have a very strange idea what ordinary life in Ireland looks like. Yeah. It'll be interesting. I wonder, can we get, would we get him into the studio? Never? In, worth to try? No? 0818 96 96 96. Speaking of elections, there's a Cork woman likely to be First Minister in the North. Yes, you did hear me right. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie.
Every year, Cork people share their stories to support a very worthy cause. And each time, we're astonished by their amazing bravery. If you need a light to shine in. 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon returns May 26th to 28th for Cork Cancer Services. And I'll be there. Every year we speak to people touched by cancer. So if you've got a story to tell, we'd love you to get in touch. Send to email radiothon at 96fm.ie. Email radiothon at 96fm.ie to find out more. I'll be everything you want to. I'll be there. The Giving for Living Radiothon. Supporting Cork Cancer Services. May 26th to 28th. Only on Cork's 96FM. Just for the laugh, right? And like something that will never happen, of course. But you're, you get a phone call from Secret Service. And you're told, listen, uh, we've a bit of a problem. Could you pick up Joe Biden at the airport? Because we're a bit stuck for transport. Where would you bring him? So you could pick up Joe Biden, Joe Biden at the airport in Cork, and you can bring him any way you want and show him anything you like. Where would you bring him? You've got him for an hour, two hours. You've got Joe Biden for two hours in the car and you can bring him any way you want in Cork and show him anything you want. Where would that be? Just just for the laugh, for no other reason, because it's a dr- dull, dreary old Monday out there. 0818 96 96 96. Now, Michelle O'Neill, to be, uh, if it works out, and it mightn't, the new First Minister of Northern Ireland. Um, she is from Cork, and you might not have realised it, but she was born in Fermoy in the late 70s and lived there until she was four, when the family then moved back to County Tyrone, where she went to school and grew up. But she is effectively a Cork woman and could well be First Minister of Northern Ireland. She's in a position to be because uh, Sinn Féin has the highest number of seats in their new assembly but there's a lot of toing and froing to be done before she is declared First Minister. But I want to be joined by uh, the station director of U105 uh, in, in Belfast who's one of our uh, stations in the wireless group of Ireland. Peter, good morning. Peter McVerry. Good morning to you, PJ. Tell, tell we all me. know that Cork unofficially yeah. run the country, but they're hoping to make it official I think we on are. both sides of the border. Tell, tell people about Michelle O'Neill. You know, she is this, this woman who is the head of Sinn Féin in the North and likely to be First Minister now if it all works out. But her Cork connections, where did... I mean, she was born in Fomoy, but how did that come about? Yeah, when she was down there, I think the family were, were working. It was in the, the late 70s as well, and she came from a strong Republican family. Her, her, her dad, after they came back over the border, was elected as a councillor in Dungannon, and she eventually took over his seat, and that started her political rise. She's also got connections. An uncle, Paul, of hers, was the president of uh, Norad, and there are a few other family members and cousins who, who served some time, and she's also had relatives who were killed in the Troubles as well. So you know what it was like in the 70s with people moving across either side of the border, and the family ended up down there for a few years before coming back up here in the early yeah. 80s, just around the hunger strike yeah, time. Yeah, there was a lot of families f- fled the north to get away from the troubles in the very early days. Was Were her, were her family one of those? We're, we're not sure of the exact reasons, whether the whether it was by by choice or by design, if you like, or whether they were 
they were forced to go because they they were based around Clano near Dungannon is the family homestead and the family the family patches not the sort of place that you you would have had to leave for religious or sectarian reasons but for whatever reason the family uh, were found themselves down in Fermoy and, and spent the first four years of Michelle's life down there and then they moved back and she was educated in, in, in Tyrone and, and grew up there but I, I did meet her briefly at an event in Cork a couple of years ago and she, she never forgot forgot her Cork roots and she's she's quite proud of them as she told me on, on that day uh, just briefly Peter it's a very complicated process up there now Sinn Féin have the right to the office of First Minister but it's not going to be easy no and, and Michelle O'Neill was tweeting there just before 9 o'clock to let us know that she'd arrived at Stormont and she was looking forward to try and move things on. But it, it's not easy. Sinn Féin actually held on to the same number of seats on the way out of the selection as they had on the way in, PJ. That's, That's 27. Right. The, the DUP dropped by three. They went from 28 to, to 25. One of those was a guy who went independent before the election and then two seats that they lost. So that gives Sinn Féin the, the largest number of seats and that gives them the right to nominate the First Minister. Historically, since 1998, it used to be when we had the Good Friday Agreement that it was the SDLP and the Ulster Unionists that were able to nominate because they were the largest two parties. It has to be under what's called the mandatory coalition that was signed up to as part of the Good Friday Agreement and subsequent renegotiations of that. It must be that the, the largest unionist party and the largest nationalist party must nominate the, the first and deputy first minister in whatever order, depending on who's got the most yeah. votes. And one cannot exist without the other. The two rules are identical in That's law. Right. There's no practical difference. You know, Michelle O'Neill, should they get this solved in the next couple of days or the next week, which is highly unlikely, PJ, she'll have no more power next Monday than she had before the election came. It's just that sim- that symbolism of it. But the DUP at this stage are refusing to nominate um, because they are unhappy with the outworkings of the Northern Ireland Protocol, yeah. which came as part of Brexit. And they're holding that, if you like, as a bargaining tool against Westminster to say, you sort the protocol and then we'll go back in, but it'll be in that order. Yeah. And, and everybody and, and else, well, the, most other people are saying the reverse. They've got six months to do this. So it ain't going to, they're in no hurry, as it were. They've got six months to sort something out. But but still, they, they have, it, it, if it doesn't look positive this week, it won't look any more positive next week. No, well, they, they, they didn't used to have six months. It's only legislation that the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, Brand Lewis, pushed through Westminster earlier this year. It used to be that, that, that they would have had about a week. And essentially what happens is there's everybody's up at Stormont today or due at Stormont today for an induction. 18 of the 90 Assembly members, PJ, are, are new and need to figure out how it works and need to you know get their seats and show them where to sit, etc. So that's happening. Brandon Lewis is meeting each of the party leaders today as well, separately, to try and resolve that. And we've also got a meeting of all the party leaders this afternoon to try and resolve it themselves. The other complicator in there is that Geoffrey Donaldson now has got two seats. The DUP, uh, uh, double jobbing was outlawed. He's currently the Lagan Valley MP in Westminster. He's now a Lagan Valley MLA. He's got a bit of week to decide what to do, and that will give us a good indication because, you know, he'll not come back to Stormont if he thinks Stormont's not going to sit. He'll sit in Westminster, take the salary there, and argue that he can be more use in lobbying the British government on the protocol sitting over there. If he does co-opt somebody else then that will give us a strong indication to say the DUP don't see themselves going back in in the next number next yeah. number of weeks. You know, if you're asking as a betting man, what I would say, I would say we might get it solved, but you know, 
will not get it solved in days. It's unlikely to be weeks, and it's more likely to be months. We do have a habit, PJ, of pushing things to and beyond the deadline politically in Northern Ireland. Indeed you do. Give us a deadline, says you, and we'll, we'll take it to the, li- to the limit. Peter McVerry, Station Director of our wireless partners in Northern Ireland, U105. So, Michelle O'Neill, Cork woman, in a position to become the First Minister of Northern Ireland, but it ain't going to happen this week and it ain't going to be easy for her to do it. But still, we congratulate her on it. Although, you know, the the big story that people missed at the weekend, I think, was, yeah, Sinn Féin had a great day and are entitled to nominate to the office of First Minister as a result of their success. But actually, they only kept on the same number of seats. Their vote only went up by a small amount. The real winners over the weekend. And it has to be said, it's a win for the the middle ground. So the extremes of politics, unionism and republicanism and nationalism, they, the alliance doubled their number of seats and doubled their vote. They were the real winners, the middle grounders. There's a message there, I think, for, for politics. 0818 96 96 96. Nell says, bring Joe Biden to Blarney. At the Blarney Stone. Then he might meet Jamie there. Good idea. Good idea. Anybody else, where would you bring Joe Biden if you had two hours with him to bring him anywhere you want in all of County Cork? What would you show him? It's a bit of fun. 0818 96 96 96. Back to education for children with special needs next. And we're going to look into it in a little bit of depth uh, for, for a while because trying to get children into classes, trying to get places for children, trying to get the right place for the right child at the right time. It's it's a bit of a mess. So we're going to look into it in some detail. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Whatever sport you support, we want you to grab that jersey and stick it on for Radiothon. Stick it on for Radiothon. If you need a light to shine Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon returns in May. And this year, Friday, May 27th, is Jersey Day. We want you to hold a Jersey Day. Hold a Jersey Day. Get together with family, friends or colleagues and wear your favourite jersey to raise funds for Cork Cancer Services. For more, see 96FM.ie. The 2022 Giving for Living Radiothon returns May 26th to 28th, only on Cork's 96FM. Now, I'm joined by Bernard Sheehan, who is the former principal of Skullvera and Dripshuk in Dripsy uh, in County Cork, and only recently former, uh, Bernard. And, and before you had left, you thought that special needs education in the school was to be handled in a particular way, and now that's all changed and you're not a bit happy about it. Good morning. I'm not. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. And thank you for the introduction there. Just so explain to us what, 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 the different, what, what is for people who wouldn't be, if you like, into the terminology. Explain what you thought so, was happening and what's going I, on. So, so just um, in 2019, uh, Dripsy National School opened an early intervention class. Now, just in case any of your listeners don't know, PJ, that's a class for children it's preschool children, they're aged between three and five, and they have a diagnosis of autism or ASD. And the benefits of early intervention for these children, being in the right setting at the right time with the right people. Um, I've read somewhere that uh, a year's intervention before the age of five 
is worth two years intervention after the age of five. And even with lockdowns and uh, what the children miss between 19 and now, they've flourished. They've done so well by being in the right setting. Mm. Um, so then after two years, the ASD class transitioned and became a junior, sorry, the EI class transitioned and became a, a junior ASD class. And they're doing very well. They're all in, they're in junior infants now. And they're integrating into our junior and seniors classroom. Um, so I had permission from the senior to open a second ASD class that was planning in for an extension. But just due to the school profile, we couldn't open a second ASD class because anybody who contacted me about a second ASD class, uh, five, most of the children would have been going into juniors this coming September, in which case we'd have six junior infants in an ASD class and six senior infants all integrating into the one junior and senior infant classroom with 17 children. And you just, it wouldn't be feasible to have 12 children integrating into um, a mainstream class of 17, just the numbers itself are, wouldn't work. So I had asked my Sino on the 3rd of December if we could open an EI class. Mm. And she told me that we could if I found the children with recommendations. Right. But she said it'd be very difficult because of um, the assessment of needs, COVID holding everything up, and that I wouldn't be able to find them. So in February, I made contact with a lady from a neighbour island called Anne Collin. She's an exceptional woman. And she had children who had a recommendation to go to an EI class. Mm-hmm. I can't think of the parents, but she, ne- she never put it in writing to me. But she did put it in writing to me that the children that were going to EI classes were now being dealt with under the AIMS model and that there was no more EI classes to be opened. Again, for listeners who wouldn't be too familiar, what does the AIMS model mean? So the AIMS model is the um, access and inclusion model. It's it's basically that the specialist preschools that would be closed and that a child with an ASD diagnosis would go through a, a crash and that instead of having an SNA that they would have in the class, that they would have an additional AIMS-funded worker. Um, the last time that there was AIMS, as far as I know, the last time there was AIMS workers advertised for in Cork, people didn't go for the position. Um, it's an increasing problem, according to many preschools in Cork. Um, the positions aren't permanent, the wages aren't great, mm. and the, the AIMS model just doesn't seem to be working. Yeah. But... I was told that they were being dealt with under the AIMS model and that there was no EI classes. So yeah. I said, fair enough. Then I'm sure you're aware that uh, there was an issue in Kilbritton with their EI class. Indeed, and, and they got that sorted? They did. And I was told for that, that was that they were able to have an EI class because they had one in the school at the time. So while the children were changing, they were keeping, it was still the same EI class. So again, I accepted that. Yeah. And then... Uh, just before Easter, I found out that a school in East Cork was getting permission to open their first EI class. Yeah, so, so this, this is deeply frustrating. I, I, I mean, I, I'm delighted for that school in East Cork. I know the principal there very well. I used to work with her years ago. And I, it's, it's brilliant for the parents and children that will be going to the EI class in that school in East Cork. It's fantastic for them. So I emailed my Sino. I asked, was the position unchanged regarding EI and AIMS? Uh, I'm just looking at my notes here. I emailed her at 12.04. She replied to me at 12.09 saying the position was unchanged. Okay, okay. Uh, 
like the, being, the, being the helpful person, we haven't I had an opportunity to speak to any of the senos here, as you can no, appreciate. No, so, so no, like we, we, yes, we just your own your own individual frustrations are are audible yes. to us here, but we haven't had an opportunity yes. to speak to any yes. of the senos. No, I I emailed her said like, how come this school in East Cork are allowed open an EI class when you've told me early intervention children are not be dealt with through the AIMS model? I've emailed her many times since. Nice. I've emailed her line manager. Um, so I'm just incredibly frustrated. There's either, there's either a national policy regarding children being dealt with under AIMS or else they can be the EI class. A class, some might, people might think, Bernard, and you'd appreciate now, a lot of people don't understand this stuff until it's on their own doorstep, and we must appreciate yes. that. Yes, People yes. would say, well, isn't a class a class a class? Isn't a class a class? A place a place? It is. It is. Now, uh, an EI class or an ASD class, um, so there's the teacher and there's, there's two SNAs and there's six children in the class. It's they're in the, As I said earlier on, they're in the right setting, in the right place. The class are set up specifically for the needs of the children. They have their pecs, they have their love, they have their visual timetables. It's exceptionally well prepared. I was so lucky in Dripsy National School to have such fabulous staff that worked for the children. And I, and I could see the children flourishing by being in the specialised setting. Mm. Like those children would not have done anywhere near as well if they'd been inside in a mainstream class with some SNA access or some resource yeah. access. They would not be doing as well as they are doing now. Yes, yes. So that there is and you thought you thought in departing Dripsy that you had made provision to, to set up another early intervention yes. class leading yes. to another ASD class. And now you find that yes. as soon as you're outside you're gone out the door. Yes. It's it's all being frustrated for whatever reason. We know not we know not yes. why. And there was, yes, there, there, there was just inconsistency amongst the NCSE as regards schools having EI classes or not. As I said, I, there, I had three, I've spoken to three parents who have no place else to go for their children for mm. September. And Dripsy National School having another EI class is their only, I think somebody said it was their only, um, their only, their, their last glimmer of hope was what one parent said yes. to me. Yes. It was actually depressing talking to these parents who are just absolutely at their wits' ends. Yeah. We'll be speaking to some of those parents shortly, but to, just to set up that particular situation. Th- thank you, Bernard, former principal of the school in Dripsy School, and he left thinking he'd set up and had in train a second early intervention class. He has now discovered that that is not the case. And he's very frustrated about it because it's a whole different form of education, an AIMS model class, a whole different form of education. Now, he mentioned the name of Anne Collin, who is a senior early intervention educational therapist. And Anne, Bernard reached out to you when he thought that he might have availability of a, a so-called EI class. Um, but what's it all about? I guess we know that the, the, the earlier you intervene to help a child the better. How much of a difference do these classes actually make? Anne? Hi, sorry. Hi, PJ. Yes, um, I was listening to Bernard there and I'm as sad as Bernard is and very frustrated for the parents who've been left hanging out with nothing for September. These classes make a lot of difference. Um, Could I ask you to come a small bit closer to your phone, Anne, if you would, please? Sure. Can you hear me? That's a bit better now, yeah. Okay, just repeat the question there again, PJ, please. Yeah, like, I just wanted to 
explain for people listening how important the early intervention classes are? Like, what difference does it make, the early intervention? How important is it to get started early, as it were? Okay, so early childhood intervention is, is widely acknowledged to be key for kids with disability. Um, all of your listeners will know that between the ages of birth and five years um, are known as the formative years. Children experience rapid brain growth and the majority of the child's fundamental learning or foundational learning is done during these years. So it's critical, it's imperative for children who have developmental delay to get additional input into the formative years. Mm. Now, these classes are of vital importance. Children with disability vary from A to Z. And I think here we're talking about children with autism, who again, autism is a spectrum and it varies from A to Z. There's um, a preconception or there's a, there's, there's a belief out there by a lot of state bodies that particularly in, involved in, in, in disability now, that aim, the access and inclusion model, we pick up children with disabilities and support them in their local preschools. Now, that's all well and good, but not all children, and particularly children with autism, can be accommodated in the local preschool because, one, they're too busy, two, they don't meet their needs, mm. and provide additional support to the frontline preschool providers. They do not operate an SNA model, yeah. which means one-on-one support. And this is what children with autism need in the classrooms. Yeah. Now, some children will survive very well. Other children won't because they don't have the one-on-one support. And other children cannot be accommodated in busy environments because of the level of their crippling autism, yeah. which means that they can't really be in a busy classroom. They need small Structured, specific teaching that will that will accommodate their own needs. So that's a problem, and that's why early intervention classes are critical to some children with autism, yeah. critical to their development, and critical to their um, to the next chapter in their lives. Yeah. So start in preschool effectively. Start in preschool. Get in early. Like that that yeah. was happening. It was happening. Now, there are a number of reasons why um, we, have, we have a problem and we have an increasing problem. And some of the reasons for this are, one, there's robust research data evidence to indicate that the numbers of children being diagnosed with ASD is rising in the Western world anyway. So, therefore, we know that more resources will be sought. And there has been a new, and I know a lot of listeners with an interest in disability will know, that there has been a new disability services framework called the new national progressing disabilities yes. service which is under the hse now and and and, and 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 i'm not going to elaborate on that because that would take up the, the whole show and the next one we'll just stick with, with with the point but what pds means or what it has done is that it has amalgamated all the the other Disability mm-hmm. agencies like COPE, Enable Ireland, Brothers of Charity, all of those previous agencies who were charged with, uh, with, with offering services to a particular type of child with a particular type of disability. And they had their own way of, of, of going. And most or all of these services provided a specialist preschool. Mm-hmm. 
So we had specialist preschools who supported the transition into maybe mainstream preschool and junior infants. And we had also a dual placement where children who needed it would have spent half of the time in the specialist preschool and the other half in their local educational centre, whatever that was. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're gone. They yeah, there's been, a lot. It seems to be a lot of vital early spaces now being being lost, and and in in, in the course of change. Yeah, well, certainly the specialist preschools have disappeared. That's one of our problems. They've disappeared under the PDS model. Now, Enable Ireland would be, and I'm sure the Brothers of Charity, a lot of these agencies would be delighted to reinstate the specialist preschools, but unfortunately, it's. It's against the um, it's against the rules of the new framework of yeah. the new model. Another another story. We part that one. Yeah. The other thing is that again, it's believed by PDS, the governors of PDS, that AIM are the answer to supporting children's educational um, input. Both AIM and, and Bernard outlined some of the reasons there, and I have. They don't operate an ASA an, an, an SNA model where they offer preschools support to children individually. They also have, in the past year, I've dealt with quite a lot of preschools and the vast majority have had difficulty uh, securing staff to add to that front line because the staff don't want, they're not interested in part-time positions, they have to travel, the pay isn't very good. they're not secure uh, positions. So that's one of the reasons. And would um, there be people qualified to provide the the, the preschool, specialised preschools? Are they out there? Like, are, are the schools willing to have them? Are the schools willing to have the qualified people mm. that were running the specialist preschool? Mm, yeah. The, the people in the old agencies that have been absorbed into PDS have been... Um, given a new job spec, which is supporting, I suppose, in the main, supporting, they're not running the specialist preschools anymore, they're supporting the children in local preschools and preschools. But the Mm. resources are very scant on the ground, and these people are not able to to get to the amount of children that need the service. And the children need a little bit more than that. Some children need to be in a structured learning early mm-hmm. intervention unit. Within Quite SNA. a high number of children need to be in the preschool, the EI unit that Bernard has been talking about. We have mm-hmm. very, very, very few of those on the ground with yeah. with with a reluctance a reluctance to open yeah. new ones. It's, it's, it, it, it's, we have children now without. Yeah, it's it's certainly very fraught and all the various different strands are confusing. I just wanted to pass on to you um, from Bernard and on behalf of all the parents for all the work that you've done tirelessly for children with special needs uh, and Bernard and others, I'm, I, I wanted to say thank you for your work today and, and take the opportunity with having you on the show uh, to say thank you for the work that you're doing. Well, thank you very much. My passion is working with children and families and um, not so much the system, I'm afraid. That's pretty frustrating, but what can we do? We're all up against systems, aren't we? There you go. There you go. Good way to finish with that. And thank you. That's Anne Collin. She's a senior early intervention educational specialist. Now, some of the children she was talking about would be children like Paula's daughter. Hi, Paula. 
Hi PJ, how are you? Good. Now you had a child who was in the early intervention class. I did. Her name is Lucy and she's now in the in the ASD, right. means are in the ASD school. Yeah. How difficult was it to get her into the system in the first place? It was pretty hard to be honest. She was diagnosed at two with ASD and the following year she would have been entitled to go to preschool. So like her sister, she who is seven, Lucy is six, she wouldn't have been able to go into the mainstream preschool, you know, with 20 other children. Even with an Ames worker, it would have just been too much for her. Mm-hmm. So we did find it very difficult in our local area to find any early intervention preschool. There was nothing around. In the end, it was actually my friend who was a teacher who told me that Dripsy were opening up an early intervention preschool mm-hmm. that September. So we met Bernard and Fanula, the teacher, in the May. And we, thank God, she got accepted in. Yeah, and she got, a, she got a taxi place as well. And how did that feel to finally find something, even if she was going off in a taxi to, to Dripsy? It was brilliant. You know, it was it was great that you knew that some school was going to accept your little girl in, you know, that she was going to be a part of a preschool with five other kids in her class and that she would hopefully make some friends and, and learn and be out all day and be busy. Um, and it was hard to send her off in a taxi, but I I had been a, an SNA myself for 20 years and I have been an escort too, bringing kids to school in taxis. So I knew that she would be fine, but she was still only three. Like my sister was nearly crying when I told her, she said, how are we going to send a three-year-old out on a bus? You know, she's in the bus over an hour every morning. But Noran is the escort and Seamus is the driver. And I couldn't ask for any kinder. They're just so good. They're like an they're aunt and uncle people. to her. And they're great people. They let me know if, you know, if she's having a bad morning or, or, but mostly she doesn't. She just, she loves going to school. And how, so how, did, looked, how did she do then? How did she progress? Well, she's had two years there and obviously the pandemic has interrupted a lot of that too. She's come on great. I mean, the school have been amazing. Um, they've been so good to her. They're so kind. And I know that she's well looked after and they're doing her best with her. And I hate this word nonverbal, but unfortunately Lucy is nonverbal. She'll say mama and Peppa at a push. She's obsessed with Peppa. Mm-hmm. Um, but she does have a talker. Thanks to her, um, we got an iPad last summer and thanks to her speech and language therapist, Katrina, who I worked with myself. She's from Next Steps. She's on Facebook, Next Steps, speech and language. And she's been amazing. Good. So now Lucy can tell us all the food she wants. Good. How she's feeling, um, Good. she know like she has a very a busy week, so she knows what's happening every day. Good, Good. And um, you know, maybe those maybe those words will come. Do you know? Maybe those words. Will yeah, come. and maybe they will. Yeah, yeah. she's well, a we were, fun. We were told loving. one time. We were told one time that words mightn't come, and now I can't shut the the devil up. Do you know what I mean? So <laughs> well, that would be amazing because she's constantly talking on her, on her talk or pressing all the buttons Good. of everything that she wants. Good. So that would be great. With this amount of paperwork, isn't there, Paula? There is, there's an awful amount and there's so many things you have to send off for, for even the domiciliary allowance, you know, and I suppose a lot of it is negative stuff that you're putting down as well yeah. about your child, you know, and, you know, you have a little two-year-old who is your who is your baby and it's, you know, she just doesn't have autism, she's your child, she's your baby. So you're trying to, you know, you're trying to get all these things done. There is a lot of forms and, you know, you know that people are doing their best, but there has been no services really, you know, yes. everything we have done ourselves. Yes. Um, 
she has an amazing girl who comes every Wednesday, takes her for three hours, Alicia McCarthy. She brings her swimming. She brings her to the shopping centres. She helped me toilet train her. She was toilet trained at exactly three. And four months later, she didn't have any pull-ups at night time. She still has the very odd accent, but she's, you know, she's flying as regards that. She goes to soccer every Monday. It's Greenwood, our local. Um, Now, she doesn't really exactly play the soccer. Mm. She goes with her sister and she might lie down on the ground and look like she's sunbathing. But she's there with everybody else and they're all so accepting of her. She goes to the Rainbow Club. Paul, will you will you stay with me? Because a couple more things I want to talk to you about. I, I need to go and take a break for the news. Um, and I want to talk through the whole process of getting a child into a place and how it's all changing uh, so many times. Everything is different now for a bit. I want to come through that uh, with you after the news and talk to one or two more people. We're just looking into this in a little bit of depth because so many changes are presently happening in the provision of special needs education. And it's very frustrating to be stuck in the middle of it and trying to get a place and trying to get a service. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, we were talking before <clears throat> the news there. We're, look, we're going into a little bit of depth about getting places for children uh, with additional needs and the various forms of education that are out there for them. We started by talking to Bernard, uh, Ber- Ber- Bernard Sheehan, the former principal of the school in Dripsy. Where he, when he left, and he's only just left recently, he had set up a particular form of class, a second, what they call early intervention class. Now he's been told that that early intervention class won't go ahead and it'll be another type of class and he's not happy about that and he's been told, he's just conflicted with what he's been told by various people. And then we're, we're now talking, we spoke to Anne Collin uh, who is an early intervention educational therapist about the importance of early, early intervention of starting very early with small children. Before the news I was talking to Paula. Now Paula's daughter uh, was in the early intervention class. She was there uh, at the age of three and has now moved on to the ASD unit and we're chatting to Paula about the benefits of that early intervention for her little girl but also about the general difficulty of getting into the special educational needs system because I think a lot of people don't really appreciate how tough it is to get a child into the system. Uh, it's, it's, it is a, uh, and we were talking to Paula before the news a mammoth amount of paperwork Paula deadlines forms different things have to be sent to different places and you don't even have a you don't even have a place for your child at that stage hello again hi PJ yeah look there's always forms there's there's so much forms for for all different things when it comes to autism or any child with you know additional needs if Lucy hadn't got her place in Dripsy or preschool early intervention preschool she would have been entitled to 20 hours home tuition, which would have been someone coming into the home and, you know, into your house three or four hours a day. They're supposed to stay inside the house. 
she wouldn't be she wouldn't have had any other kids with her where she's gone out on the bus she's socializing mm. she, the five other kids are on the bus with her she gets to school they have their their run around they have their circle time their bit of work mm. you know they're dancing and their bit of singing so she if she didn't have early intervention if she wasn't out in that preschool she would be stuck at home in a room with somebody which would who would be trying their best i know but she wouldn't have been able to avail of all the fun and the socialization that she gets out in Dripsy. Yes, yes, you can. You can't put a price on that. And then when you put all the paperwork together and you go to find a school, does anybody help you with that or are you on your own? I rung lots of schools in our local area to see is anybody opening up an early intervention preschool unit. There 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 is none. Um I know they might leave it up to the AIMS workers, which I know obviously they do a great job too. But as I said, if you put a child with needs, and Lucy has a lot of needs, into a school of, with 20 other other children, you know, and the AIMS workers are supposed to do their best with, with this child where she's in a, in a, in a early intervention preschool with with five other kids. Like that's, that's a, you know, obviously a very big difference. Yeah. It's, it's not fair on the child. It's not fair on the other children, you know, in the class either obviously if your child is able to go and you know and is is fit for names worker that's brilliant mm-hmm. but there's there is lots of preschools closing down in general at the moment yes. there's not enough early intervention preschools being opened i am i'm not up on all that but i don't know why they can't help the the prime the, the mainstream schools yeah. open up more you yeah. know and People have enough stresses in life. A lot of schools would take on these classes. It's not that they don't want to. They just can't. Yeah, I don't know. Is it probably too many regulations? Also, I do think that when they do ask these primary schools to open them up, that they should give the teachers training as well, you know, maybe the year before, pay for them to go off to courses, just so that they're all up on it, you know, give them as much help as they need. Why make it difficult to open one up when we have so many children with so many needs you know, it's not fair. Yeah, and an ordinary priest for Lucy or any other child like her, an ordinary preschool just just won't cut it. No, Lucy's a very active child. She likes to move a lot. Um, she, you know, she needs a lot of sensory breaks, which she gets out in Dripsy, yeah. and they know her well. You know, and they're mad about her. But in a in a so called mainstream preschool, you know, you mightn't have the air enough area outside. She needs that scope. Um, you know, if she's having a moment, it mightn't be, you know, the best for 19 of the children looking on her. Yes. Um, she just needs, she needs a lot of help and yeah. she she does get it out there and they get her and they understand her. Yeah. Like, there's so many, I, I know a few people now who, who, who need to put their child into early intervention and they have nowhere to go, They, you know. So, I mean, if, if Dripsy could open one up, it would be amazing. Well, this and other schools, if they just helped, you know, if they helped the schools to open them up. Well, when he left Dripsy, Bernard was of the impression that he had the arrangements in place for another early intervention. And, and now he finds that that's all been changed. And, and that's unfortunate. And it certainly seems to be there's a, there's a move away from early intervention and as as a mum of a little girl who has benefited greatly from early intervention your thoughts on moving away from it what do you I think? don't yeah I, I don't I don't know why they they think that moving away from it is going to help like the, the people who make these decisions 
Do they have children with needs themselves? Do they have relations, you know, with children with extra needs? Do they realise what they're doing and the, the pressure that they're putting on families? You know, people have pressures in life in general. You know, everybody goes through stuff in life. And then when you have a child on top of that with needs and you're, all these obstacles are put up against you, you know, where are you to go and what are you supposed to do? And lots of people don't want to be coming on fighting and, and giving out because that's not their way, you know, and it's just not good enough. Yeah. I, I, I find, and I've spoken to countless people over the years, people, you know, who, who never wanted to share their issues in a public forum, never ever even thought about it. And they're doing it because if they don't, nothing will happen. Yeah, and it's it's thanks to those people who speak up. I wouldn't be the best at that. I wouldn't, people who know me, know that I wouldn't like even now talking on the radio. I have to pretend that I'm talking to you as a friend, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. well, well, may I say you've done an exceptional it, job. Thank you. You were a, wonderf- it's, it's those you were a people. wonderful advocate for your little girl. A wonderful advocate. Thank you, PJ. Well, it's those people who do speak up. It's for all the people that are, are coming down the line in the next couple of years who you know who will have kids with needs and if the if people don't speak up it's thanks to those who have that will make things better like yeah. i don't know why bernard can't open up his early intervention preschool i don't i don't know why other schools can't and if schools are willing to do it yeah. you know and 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 be accepting isn't it great that they that they want to do it yes. you know yes yes that seems and to especially be. in local areas that they won't have to put children on buses you know, although I'm very grateful for, for my transport, as I said, mm. Noran and Seamus on the bus are amazing and I couldn't ask for any better. But she is on the bus a long time, but I'm glad she's on a bus with people who get her and who are mad about her and have a bit of fun with her. But it's 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 also very sad in 2022, Paula, that she has to go on a bus instead of like any other child of her age to go to her local school the same things exactly. should be provided as a matter as a matter of course a matter of right I wish you well with her Paula and you're doing a great job you're a wonderful advocate for your little girl a really wonderful advocate and don't be a bit nervous about speaking out because you do it really well I'm going to go now to Laura and Laura we're not going to mention your your child's name or, or where you want to go to school or anything like that but just to go through the stuff that you yourself are going through at the moment you're trying to get into the position that Paula is is in as it were you're 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 just trying to yeah, find no, somewhere don't worry that's not my thing you're just trying to find somewhere do you know Laura good morning good morning PJ thank you so much for bringing this topic up I am looking for a place for my child who has a diagnosis of autism I have rang every school in Cork and county looking for a place in an early intervention unit Mm. Um, unfortunately there is no places at all available and also there is a hefty waiting list now back in February I did meet with Bernard and brought my child out to Gypsy School And my child does not integrate well with other children, shows no interest whatsoever. And for the very first time, when we went into the 
in an early intervention classroom. He actually integrated with the other children. And I was absolutely astonished and felt very emotional about it. It was like a meeting of the minds that he was aware that everyone was on the same frequency and took to it like a duck to water and I never saw him so happy playing boisterously, playing chase with other children, uh, sitting down on a yellow chair. He he was the guest, they gave him a yellow chair and my child is 50-50 with with talking Um, and he this is very emotional Um, he 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 didn't want to leave you have that realisation Laura that magic happens in this place and my child needs that magic oh my god it was just unreal it was just it broke my heart on one level and on another level, I finally saw light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. And I suppose Bernard said to me that once he gets to go ahead for the class, yes, I have a place. And my world suddenly opened up for him. So, so you are, then, Laura, your, your, your child who were not naming or identifying, your child would have had an opportunity to join this magic uh, yes, if Bernard had gotten what he thought he was getting. Yes. Indeed. So that opportunity has been taken. My child's human right has been violated to be educated because for whatever reason, I don't know, but as long as there is two children, my understanding with the Department of Education is if there is two children with full reports, with a diagnosis, they can open an early intervention class. Now, I myself, I've all the paperwork, I got everything into Bernard. Along with that, um, I know of at least two others that have all their paperwork in place looking for a place in Gypsy as well. Yes. Because this was the only place. Now, I was horrified, shocked that Bernard came back to me through no fault of his own. He has fought the battle and to tell me that Casino is not allowed and gave him the word that. Casinos um, have now told him that, that what he thought he could have, they, they can't have. And, 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 and that's, that's awful. That really and, is awful, you know. And I want to know why I have spoken to Asino and she told me she would forward me stuff by email. Um, still waiting. I also brought up about Dripsy and she said Dripsy will not go ahead. Now, I I don't understand why. And the best of luck to um, 
other schools that, like, killed Britain. They fought yeah, there. They and, did. And, they and, I, and I spoke to them and I covered it. Like, you were in a position where you were putting everything, you thought you had to place, you put I, everything I, together. Absolutely. And you know, my child, as I said, he's very visual. And he came home the next day. He started going through his clothes and pulled out a wine sweater. And he put it on and got his little bag, put some tucks into it, a drink of water, making a little lunch, and said, bye-bye. The schools. He thought he was going back. He thought he was going back. And he kept saying to me, car, car. Now, it just breaks my heart because he's still doing that to this day. And he can't understand why not. Because he got a sniff of what he could have. He got a, he got a taste of something which is so a bitter sweet pill that he could get this, and it was taken away yeah. just uh, in just the briefest of moments. I mean, he fit he he fitted in so so. And Laura, if end. if he can't get back to that, and if he can't get into such a wonderful place. What are your fears? My fears that he is going to get extremely frustrated. That he is going to regress even further. There is, I mean, preschool, forget it. Because my child is a flight risk as well. I see. And if he A bolter, is, as we used to call them in my time. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And an open door, his whip is gone. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, preschools do not have the capacity no. to care. Nor the other issue is my child is not totally trained okay. due, to, due to his autism. And the preschool won't take him. And this preschool will not take him. So that out the window as well. They are not looking at the bigger picture at all. The other thing is that these children, because of sensory difficulties, cannot cope in huge numbers. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, 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 they will have a total meltdown and they will cling to you then for hours afterwards yeah. and are so distressed. But in the IUNIS, it's only it's literally one to one, and they're they're so caring. Mm-hmm. It gives them the skills that they acquire in EI. It's the very foundation that will prepare them for the rest of their life. Would it be Would it be a fair description if I said that all of the things that might happen? to your little boy in the course of an ordinary day, they're catered for in an early intervention unit, but not catered for elsewhere. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? 
United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Swear. Absolutely. You know, my child also, he's, he is a very picky eater. Mm. He, he hardly eats. Um... Before he had got his diagnosis, he sees everything. But this is part and parcel. Mm. And it's a sensory be, thing. Oh, it's a sensory. Yeah. And they would be aware of this, that he needs time, he needs movement breaks. It, because they are trained, because they know all the challenges, they know what triggers, they know how to talk gently, with care, with patience. Mm-hmm. And with trust, the trust that builds it up gives the child confidence to move along and progress. Mm-hmm. And you cannot get that in a place, a big classroom with lots of children. No, no, this is highly specialised. So it, it is. And, you know, the children with autism is really on the rise. It is. But they are not catering for that rise. They are not increasing the places. In fact, the opposite is happening. They're decreasing it. So these children are in a minority with no voting rights. I, I myself... But the minister I, says they're finding places. Minister Foley says they're finding places and they're creating places. Well, you know, I, I have to say, if you, on that note... I can't find a place for my child. And I have went from Liz Carroll to right down Peel. I've tried every place. There is no place available for my child as as an Irish citizen. There is no place for him in an EI unit. And yet, and yet, you know, while I have the greatest sympathy for all the children from Ukraine, that have come into Ireland. I have heard the minister on the radio stating that children from Ukraine with special needs will be catered for. Now, how is that possible when there is not even places for the Irish children? I know. That's that's frustrating uh, a lot of people. And in doing that, you in saying that, 
you were saying not for one minute that the child from Ukraine not, shouldn't get what they need. No, no, no I know that. I know that. I know that, Laura. I know that. I know but that. Where, how can they suddenly find these places and there's none available for my child? Now, the thing is, they can still change this. Dripsy School are willing to open yes. an early intervention yes. class. In fact, thought they were going to be able to. Let's be very yes. clear about that. But they're thought still they were willing. going to be able to. They're still willing to go ahead. Just give them the word and they will do it. And that means that my child has can go to the place where magic happens. And not only that, but he can also not be segregated, but he can have time with his peers. At the moment, it's like giving him a jail sentence. No other children to play with, no social interaction. You know, it, 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 it's, it's just heart-wrenching. Do you know why I'm identifying with you, Laura? Because that could have been me. We got our boy into a wonderful, wonderful place called Sonus, where he met an extraordinary young woman called Barbara. And to this day, and he'd be 25 in October, Barbara found his voice. And that's, that's what I had thought when Bernard said, there's a place available just as long as, you know, everything goes well with, with um, the Sino saying, yeah. you know, and, and the Sino clearly said, I spoke to a Sino and she said to me, no AI will be going ahead in Dripsy. And, and you have to wonder why people can make decisions like that and what they base it on. Laura, I... I, 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 I've, I contacted Josepha Madigan, Minister for Special Needs, and all I get back is emails. Senior officials are looking into this. Yeah. But the time is running out. Yeah, we're it's in May now. We're in May year. now, Laura. It's the end of the school year. We're and if nothing happens... Within the next couple of weeks, my child is lost in the system, and God knows what is going to happen to him. Okay. He is going to go from he's going to go to a very, very dark place and that and that is his human right being violated yeah Nora, I'm going to leave it there um and thank you for spending so much time with me, and I know that we're being very careful about. Identification, um, but this is, and I've heard this. Thank you, Laura. Put it back onto their feet. I've heard stories like this. I've been listening to them for twenty something years. And it doesn't get any better. In fact, it's getting worse. Heartbreaking listening to us as this call. A child deserves his chance. My name is Caroline Dunn. I'm listening to you about the special class. I'm living in Thurles. My boy has to travel to Nina every day. It's 40 minutes from his home. It's a disgrace there isn't more of these classes. We just wanted to delve into it in a little bit of depth this morning. Thanks for bearing with us. If it's not something that's in your life, we appreciate. It might not be of a whole pile of interest to you, but we just wanted to delve into it in a little bit of depth. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Paula. Thank you, Bernard. And thank you, Anne. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? 
The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96FM. Yeah, there's a. Uh, it's just heartbreaking to listen to, to parents like that. Uh, I, and I've been listening to them for a very long time and they'll always have... They'll always have open access on this show because I know what they're going through, and uh, it's 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 terrible. It really is. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. If you have any particular thoughts, then I'd like to hear them. Do you hear something that came up? This is just came up apropos of nothing, um, and putting it out there. Man was on to us uh, who wants a driving license renewed, and says his wife can't deal with online. She's 80. And she went down to Copley Street and they wouldn't deal with her. Online only, they said. I don't know what the situation is with the renewing of driving licences in Copley Street. I, I thankfully, when mine comes around to be renewed, I think it's at the end of this year, I'll be able to do it online. I have all the bits and pieces I need. You need a public service card and all that old nonsense. But I appreciate the fact that a lot of people just can't deal with online. Young and old can't deal with online. Or don't have a public service card. But that man contacted us to know, is there anyone like that, in that position, that wants to renew their driver's licence? Can't deal with online, for whatever reason. Some people don't have a computer. Did you ever think of that? But, and yeah, I know there's things like internet cafes, but that intimidates some people too. But can you actually walk in and get a driver's license and pay for it the old way? Or do you have to go online? What is the story? Thanks for that. 0818 96 96 96. The new survey says that more than half of Ireland's workforce has fallen out of love with their job. And 65% regret not chasing their dream job. Is there such a thing as a dream job? The survey was done by Matrix Recruitment and Joanne Foley joins me to talk about it. Joanne, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Delighted. Is there such a thing as a dream job? Yes, absolutely. I think, you know, sometimes people think of dream jobs. They're thinking of something maybe far reaching like an astronaut or playing football for Real Madrid or something like that. But it it, it doesn't have to be, you know, something, you know, quite so um, elusive. It can be, you know, it, it's something much more um, achievable and attainable. It's a job really that you enjoy doing. So it's it's very different for, for everybody. Um, some people that might be, you know, um, becoming a nurse, somebody else might be a graphic designer. It can really, really vary. It's whatever, you know, kind of makes you happy. You're getting up out of bed in the morning and you're looking forward to going to do that job. That really is what a dream job is. Yeah. So uh, so many people are now doing a job that is a job and pays a wage, but it's not what they would have chosen for themselves if they had a chance. Exactly. And the interesting part of this survey really was the impact of COVID-19 and the whole pandemic that that's had on people's career choices. It really has stopped, um, made people stop rather, and, and, and forced them to sort of evaluate where they're at and what's important to them in their lives. And they discovered, you know, that a lot of them were feeling maybe stuck in a rut and, and, and needed that change. And then others maybe felt that they really wanted a role that, that offered that more flexibility and work-life balance now really has has become one of the most important things when, you know, considering um, moving jobs or maybe staying where you are. Yeah. Over half of workers 
no longer happy in the job that they do. That's a stark finding. It is. It is. And the, the, the thing is, it's to remember that it's never too late to change. It's never too late to do that career pivot. You know, that you can, um, you may have to do some upskilling. You may have to maybe take a step back. But if you really want to go after something, it is possible. And I would say now more so than ever, the markets are buoyant at the moment. There are so many opportunities out there. It's definitely, you know, easier to make that change. So many people left their job during the pandemic and I take it these were people who left it by choice yeah the majority of those but almost 80 percent you know left so voluntarily so there was there was different reasons for that you know um kind of by 36 percent said they were unhappy in their work and then others you know kind of a similar figure were saying that you know it didn't provide a good work-life balance so it's back to that again then others um were more so due to stress-related issues and then you know kind of a smaller um group again then left you know just concerns over contracting um covid and then others you know want to move because they were looking for a job that would allow that remote work and others wants to move again to become near to their family so so the pandemic really has had a, a big impact on people and their career decisions you, you were saying earlier on you know it's the belief of recruiters like yourself that look it's never too late to change you can always pivot to something else but i guess a lot of people stay in a job where they're not particularly happy, Joanne, because, look, there's a decent wage coming in out of it. I don't have all the satisfaction in the world, but guess what? I can pay my bills and I can run my home. And at a time of economic crisis like we're in right now, that's that they're prioritising being able to pay their bills over happiness in their work. Do you find that? Um, to be honest, actually, what we're finding at the moment is that, you know, obviously salary, look, salary is always going to be important. As you said, people need to, you know, to earn a decent wage have a certain standard of living. And obviously that's always going to be something that's important. But it's actually not, um, we're finding it's actually not the most important thing right now for people. That finding, work-life balance seems to matter an awful lot more to people now. And, and I think it was during the pandemic that that emerged. Absolutely. I mean, that's what people are looking for. This is probably... The, the first, you know, kind of piece of conversation that we're having with candidates now, they want to know, is this role, you know, available, you know, uh, to be done on a remote basis? You know, is there a hybrid working option there? You know, you know, does it need to be on site five days a week or whatever it is? Some jobs obviously have to be, you know, on site. That's, that's a given. But for those roles that are more office-based, that can be done from home, people are expecting a certain degree of flexibility there. And, and the, the preference really seems to be that sort of hybrid model where perhaps you're two days at home, three days in the office, or three days at home and two days in the office. Uh, and that seems to be the kind of the emerging trend coming out of this. And that's certainly something that, that people are looking for. And it's something, I guess, that employers really need to consider when, you know, the market at the moment very much a candidate-driven market and companies are really trying to to attract and retain staff. Mm. So by offering that degree of flexibility to both, you know, current and prospective employees, um, you know, that, that is, you know, providing, um, I suppose, a competitive edge. It's not just down to salary and benefits anymore. Mm. You know, and perks like, you know, the free canteen and the on-site gym and stuff like that, they rank so low right now right. in people's list of priorities. Would you say so to people, Joanne, that are trying to recruit for, for certain individuals that if this person coming to you wants to work hybridly and the job can be done hybridly, it's in the employer's interest to set that up? 
Well, absolutely. I mean, we always consult with our clients, you know, as to kind of what's happening in the market, what the trends are, you know, kind of where where the gaps are, everything like that. Um, you know, and I, I guess with, you know, kind of the, the smaller companies who can make decisions, you know, kind of, you know, locally, um, it, that's easier for them to maybe change their policies and stuff like that. You know, whereas maybe with kind of the larger multinationals, some of these decisions are made, you know, kind of head office globally and stuff like that. So that can be more difficult to change. But most companies are offering, you know, a degree of flexibility, you know, because it, it can't just be done, I guess, for one person. You know, it has to be done across the board. So it has to be a company-wide decision at the same time. And it has to work for both the company and the employees. Yeah. But it's certainly something that companies should be looking for and to see how they can incorporate some degree of flexibility. If remote working or hybrid working isn't um, maybe suitable or feasible for them, then maybe something like, you know, kind of flexible working hours. So, you know, earlier, later, start times and finishes. That can be quite good for people. People, you know, can allow them maybe to do a school drop-off or something like that. And that can really, you know, people really appreciate that type of flexibility as well. Mm. Lastly, um, another finding was that 8 out of 10 women that you surveyed said that a lack of confidence was limiting them in pursuing a career. Yes, this was one of the more starting findings, I guess, in our survey. You know, it was the lack of confidence that's preventing people, and in particular women, um, for, from, you know, kind of changing a job or maybe feeling they can't go after their, their dream job. And, and there can be various reasons for that. You know, it could be that maybe they were passed over previously for promotion. Maybe they're aware of somebody in their current company doing the same job, but, you know, like a male on a higher pay grade, so they're aware of this gender gender gap um, or it could be maybe that they have taken some time out to raise their family and now they're feeling you know well I've been out for the last maybe five years and I, I'm you know kind of you know I can't just expect to kind of you know go after that role now you know so th- there can be there can be a myriad of reasons why um, but yes definitely women are have that lack of confidence and when there's a lack of confidence there like that it can you know almost become a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy because obviously if you're not having your confidence um you know, you're not going to perform as well, maybe, you know, throughout the, the recruitment process and at interview, etc. Okay. All right. Leave it there. Thank you very much. That's Joanne Foley of Matrix Recruitment. Their findings? Half of workers no longer happy in their job and certainly the work-life balance, so important, so important now. And that the pandemic, we've learned during the pandemic the importance of a work-life balance. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Described as a singer whose voice has a remarkable ability of taking you into his world, Tommy Fleming returns to Cork in February 23 for two shows celebrating three decades as one of Ireland's most gifted singers. Tickets for the shows are now on sale from CorkOperaHouse.ie. 
Fatboy Slim, Rudimental and Bastille Indy 22 has announced some more additions for the Imro stage, including Jerry Fish, Lorraine Nash, Moncrief Sophie Doyle Ryder, The Blizzards and Tolu Mackay. Weekend camping tickets are now on sale from independencefestival.com Access All Areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show play or exhibition or any live streaming events by emailing us on aaa at 96fm.ie Access All Areas Your guide to nightlife on on Cork's 96FM. Great to see so many events coming back. Marquee coming back. We had the Chamber of Commerce do the other night. We had the Simon Ball at the weekend. All the great events coming back, including the County Mayor's Charity Midsummer Ball, which is back at County Hall on the 10th of June. And Mayor of the County, Councillor Gillian Collin, joins me. Preparations in full swing, Mayor. Good morning. Good morning. Thing, and I'm very excited that we are indeed holding a charity ball on the 10th of June. And as you say, people have a real appetite, I think, to go and to dress up and to come out and meet each other and all in a good cause. Three causes back in, in, this, in this instance. Um, I'm raising money for a Red Cross, for a Breakthrough Cancer Research, and for West Cork Women Against Violence. And really look forward to having as well as we can. Um, yeah, that's a, that, that's um, unfortunately that is a dreadful that's a dreadful telephone line. Whatever is going on with you there, I'd say we might come back to this uh, maybe before twelve if you can at all because it's just that line that line is just not going to hold up. Will we try it once more? You're, you've, you're three cha- you've three charities: Breakthrough Cancer, the Irish Red Cross, and the West Cork Women Against Violence Project. Yes, indeed, yes. And um, these three, three charities are very close to my heart and I think are important at this particular time in, in, um, in history with the, of the Ukrainian crisis. Um, cancer has touched all of our lives uh, at one stage or another. I think every family has been touched by cancer. And West Cork is a great project that is working against, obviously, as it says, um, violence against women and gender-based violence. So on the night, we can hope for a really good, enjoyable night of the best of West Cork food and all food and drinks from all over the county of Cork indeed and a very glamorous night of special guests and surprise uh, attendees so I really would appeal to people to come out and to enjoy themselves and to join me for my Midsummer Charity Ball on the 10th of June And your venue is the, the ground floor of the county hall which is that, that's yes. innovative you convert the whole ground floor into a ballroom Yes yeah. Yes, indeed. Yes, where where you are in county hall, which again is a little bit of novelty for people, um, rather than maybe going to hotels or whatever the case may be. It is a little bit different, and we are going to yes, you say convert into a beautiful, glamorous ballroom for the night, and we look forward to welcoming all of our of our guests uh, on the night. And as I say, it will it is assured to be a very enjoyable night, and one of the say these charities really deserve our support so to, to keep that in mind indeed okay mayor thank you for that the line wasn't the best but we, we we made it work as they say you can find out more about that charity ball and indeed find a link to buy tickets now they're quite expensive a table of 10 is a thousand euro tickets are a hundred euro but it's a big charity night and corkcoco.ie is the website where you'll find out more can we just talk Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? 
0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Yeah, John O'Donovan has some thoughts on the North and what happens now. And the possibility of Michelle O'Neill being First Minister, of course, for my woman, Michelle O'Neill being First Minister in Northern Ireland. But it all depends on cutting a deal with the Unionists um, because they have to be able to take or be willing to take the Deputy First Minister position. And it's all about optics and politics and all that nonsense, really. John says if they can't start it out by June, then all of their salaries should be stopped. That wouldn't be long concentrating their minds it's a disgrace that so much effort is put into satisfying all the politicians, but they leave their people without decision-making. Yeah, John, it's kind of in a, an assembly that has not got a whole pile of power anyway, but I, I do see where you're coming from. They've got, they could have six months to sort this out, and they could be messing around for six months, drawing salaries. I'm not sure how how much they earn up there, but it's it's no small money anyway. 0818 96 96 96. This is etiquette week. It's what, PJ? It's etiquette week. Etiquette is effectively good manners. Every situation in life, every situation in work, family situation, whatever kind of a situation in which you find yourself, it, there's etiquette, there's good manners surrounding it. And there are those who would say that good manners are gone by the board and the good manners are gone out the window. There are others who would say that, look, let's just be ourselves and to hell with the etiquette of it all. Let's just be who we are. Uh, Therese McCullough Melia is from the Etiquette Academy and I'm sure you would certainly disagree with that, Therese, that good manners are always important regardless of the situation. Good morning. Well, maybe that's responsible for some of the bad behaviour that we actually see today. Yeah. Good manners is all about respect, respecting other people, respecting their point of view, respecting their culture and so on. So um, good manners are really important. Uh, I run um, courses in, in the schools mostly for the TYs as it's their year out to explore the world. And it's just to prepare them for like interview. So you're selling yourself on the day of the interview. And it doesn't matter how great your CV is or whatever. Unfortunately, your appearance and how you behave on the day is much more important. Mm. So you could have two clients or two people candidates and one, the two of them were equal as regards their qualifications. They've been volunteering, they're sporty, all of that. On the day, they appear not appropriately dressed for the position that they're applying for. Then we have the no eye contact, also not listening to the full question, poor handshake. And unfortunately, within 30 seconds of them entering the room, you have made up your mind whether you're going to employ them or not. Now, moving on to... Some might say, sorry to interrupt, which is probably poetical as well, but uh, (laughs) some might say, Trace, that those are desperately old-fashioned values and that you're really not getting the quality of the person in doing the job if those matter to you? Well, you see, at the end of the day, how is that person going to behave working with others? If they're disrespectful, that they're always, you know, shouting the odds and whatever, it's not going to make for a very pleasant 
uh, work atmosphere. So it is important that people do show the respect, you know, by turning up on the day for the interview, looking their best and Mm. putting their best foot forward. So that's where I would be coming from, because I know from sitting on interview panels myself, I would make up my mind like that. It costs so much to actually set up an interview with these people that you want to get the best person at the end of the day. And these are the, you know, the little things, just even something like non-verbal communication. Somebody's there and they're saying one thing to you, but their body language is telling you something else. Then you know <laughs> that you're dealing with somebody that may not be telling the truth. Yeah, or, or the notion that I, I, re, I, you can sense from their position, their body movement, I don't even want yes. to be here. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. So they're all the little things that you can pick up on. And it's how much effort they have put into preparing themselves for the day. Mm. As in, I say, they're, you know, how they address. Appropriate to the job. They don't have to, you know, turn up like they're going to be bank managers. If it's a job, they wouldn't require that. They just dress. Um, how would I say, just, um, sorry now, I'm just okay. uh, thinking of how they would just smartly dress yeah. Yeah. appropriately for the position that they would um, be looking for. Do, do you think that politeness and, and manners, outside of the interview and work situation, do you think that politeness and manners have gone out the window in a lot of other walks of life, particularly even you know, between between friends, I, you're entitled. Your, your friends are entitled to good manners, just like anybody else. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's the total lack of respect. It's like people, you know what I mean. They're always stuck now on their phones or their iPads or whatever. And even when they're in company, they're busy on them. You know, checking out this and that. And the person they don't, they're not appreciating that somebody has given their time to be in their company. And they're, they're not using it properly. Also, you would find that a lot of people don't feel that they have to be um, use good manners, like in social media. Mm. That's how you have all these big rows that get up. People, you know, feeling, oh, I can express myself. That's fine, you know, to an extent. But you also have to use tact. And that is, you know, not to be, even if, you know, something is not correct. I give the example um, of the, the mother invites the school friends round and she burns the dinner. How do you tackle that? So do you eat it? No. You just sit there and she knows, you know, what, I mean, what she has done. But you don't, you know, say you're the worst cook in the world or your mum is the worst cook in the world. What you, you thank her for inviting you around and making a place for you at the table. Mm. So you find something positive in the negative rather than bursting out and saying, you know, whatever you're you're thinking. Have we lost the filter between things you think and things you say? Absolutely, absolutely. And it it has come about because of social media. Also, you would find that people use social media to berate somebody. But if you met that person in person and said to them, well, what have you got to say to me now? They wouldn't have anything to say to you. They just feel that they can hide behind social media and say whatever they think. Mm-hmm. And rushing around, like rush, we're all in a hurry. We're all permanently mm. in a hurry. And that means things like you'll bump into someone in the street and you won't yeah. even say, oh, excuse me. There's, those little or, things are gone. Or you'll barge in the door and put, yeah. really push someone out of the way. You don't mean any harm. 
But no. it's been it's been rude and you need to turn around and say, oh, I'm so sorry for that. I didn't intend to do that. Exactly. Yeah, and because the person will perhaps get a bit angry that that has happened to them, it's always what can be the spin-off from such behaviour. Mm. As you say, if somebody barges through a door and nearly knocks you down, well, you're not going to say, oh, they're a lovely person. You're uh-huh. going to be absolutely so annoyed. And that can start you off. And then maybe, you, you know, you're in a shopping centre and you walk into the shop and you haven't settled down from the annoyance of that happening. And you almost snap at the shop assistant if mm. she says something like, oh, no, sorry, we don't have that. Yeah. You know, that, you can yeah. end up ca- taking it out on somebody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's, there's a tendency to sometimes blame the poor person who's conveying the information. They didn't, that's not their fault. Are, exactly. there, th- are there things that used to be done or ways that we used to conduct ourselves that are gone and that you miss, Therese? Um. A very good question. I Even like you sometimes find today, like people won't use the word even as simple as please or even, you know, if you do something or whatever, they don't, you know, thank you. And also, even just as simple as when you thank somebody and they say you're welcome, you know, in a nice, upbeat way instead of you're welcome, you know, grudgingly. Those are, are, are some of the things that I just feel are just lacking today. And as you see, even someone holding a door for you, it doesn't matter if someone gets to the door first and just holds it for the person. It's just so nice, you know, that you kind of feel. It's like the other evening I was out and I was going up the stairs and somebody was coming down and they very kindly waited at the top of the stairs until I came up. And I thought that was really nice. So I thanked them. And I know it's, it's a kind of, it gives you a good feeling as well that good feel factor yeah. if someone you know says to you, thank you you know because they've acknowledged what you've done yeah. even though it's quite simple could be a tiny thing but thank you for exactly. that yeah. it can it can mean so much to something they didn't to have her. to do exactly exactly that's exactly it yeah. and just those small things that it, people you know it's like also you, don't, you may meet somebody on the street and they're so busy now on their digital phone or whatever, they don't even see you. And even when you sometimes speak to them, they kind of just grunt at you instead of, you know, saying hello or Mm. good morning or whatever, lovely day. All that seems to be kind of just gone by the wayside. People think, oh, that's all trivia. But it's actually Mm. not. It's quite nice. Do you You know, know, it's them acknowledging your presence. Something that I often wonder whether I'm right or whether I'm wrong with this, Trace. For example, I, I, I don't particularly like meeting someone, someone's children and, and them calling me Mr. Coogan. I, I don't like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, my but name... But some people say that's good manners. A child should always address you as Mr. Coogan. You have yeah. women who, in their 80s, that I knew my, my late grandmother, her, her, her closest friend, they'd been friends for over 40 years. They yeah. never... Ex- they never address each other by their first name. Always yeah. by the Mrs. This and Mrs. That. But they were so close. Yeah. That's gone. Do we miss it? Oh, yes. But if, it, if, you know, if a child is brought up to address people as Mr. and Mrs., what you do as the person, if they're saying, you know, Mr. Coogan, you say, well, no, please call me PJ. Mm. Yeah. That's, you know, so you're giving the child, you know, permission to actually call you that. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you're right. 
um, you know, it would be even like if you were addressing a clergyman, you would always call him Father Crosby or, mm. you know, whatever his surname was. Now it's nice they call them Father Paul or Father Declan or Father Derek or whatever. And it kind of just drops the real formality of it. I've no problem with that at all. Mm. Um, as I say, if people, you know, have been formally brought up and they address people as Mr. or Mrs. or Miss, mm. Then you just, you know, say to them, it's okay to call me Therese or whatever. Yeah. Lastly, Kevin was just pointing, going back to something that you mentioned at the start about how if you're sitting on an interview board, you yourself, because of what you do, you can decide within a minute or not whether this person is a, is good for the job. Regardless of the qualifications yes. on their CV, you can decide mm-hmm. whether a person is good. Kevin is suggesting that's kind of shallow. We were always taught never judge a book by its cover. Yeah, but um, it, it, it's back to, you know, um, how would I say, you come to recognise various things about people. Uh, and okay, never judge a book by the cover. That's what they they used to say. But before the person comes for interview at all, you've already had, you know, their CV, their cover letter mm. and all of that. So the reason that you're calling them is that you feel that they are appropriate for the job. So it's just then on the last day, it's, it's like selling a product or selling yourself. I have you. I so have it wouldn't you. be, you know, really interpreted in that way. You come to, as say, people that sit on interview panels come to notice certain things about people. It's like if a young girl comes for an interview and she slaps on the makeup. She doesn't take the time to put on that little bit of makeup. Well, you're thinking, how is she going to be with her job? Is she going to be like that? You know, not taking, showing enough detail in what she does. Interesting. And they would be the, just the little things that you would um, Interest, interesting be looking and at. There are, modern, there are modern rules and changes all the time. So something that was good etiquette, etiquette 20 years mm-hmm. ago is not good etiquette now. That can be confusing in itself. It can, yes, it can. It's what I just, um, the way I would just put it is, I, I, as I say, part of my, um, the, modules that I would do would be, you know, the nice handshake. Well, that's gone by the board at the moment because of the COVID and whatever. So we had all the different ways of shaking hands instead. Introductions. um, People say, oh, sure, that's old hat. It's not in the way, you know, you can introduce anybody in an informal way, as in you don't want to be in company with somebody that you don't know who they are or what their name is. Yeah. So, um, and saying sorry apologising, but meaning it. You know, so many people just apologise, apologise, apologise and keep repeating the same thing. Then, as I said before, being tactful and uh, avoiding and dealing with rudeness. And also what people don't understand, if you come across a person that has very bad manners or very poor manners, you never comment on it. Although you'd be seething underneath thinking, oh, I just wish they would realise how bad their manners are or they appear to you. So, so it's good manners not to comment on bad manners. Exactly. That's an interest. That, that's the best way to wrap it up. I think that's very good, Teresa. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> so there you go. So you don't, when you're out with somebody and they're, they're showing appallingly bad manners, you just keep it to yourself. Suck it up, as they say. Thank you very much, Therese McCullamelia from the Etiquette Academy. It's National Etiquette Week. There's a hashtag, National Etiquette Week. And I remember they did, it, did this before. And it's quite amusing, the things that actually are little tiny nuggets of etiquette that you oh my god I never thought that never have thought of that but there's a good one it's not good manners to comment on somebody else's bad manners there's a thing you didn't know can we just talk the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Let's get down, let's get down to business. We're back to the music. The Cork's 96FM music panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now. 96FM.ie now. Just like this. Take the 10-minute survey and you could win a 100 euro Just Eat voucher. The power to pick what we play. Pick what we play. Let's get down, let's get down to business. Join the Quark's 96FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96FM.ie. Quark's 96FM. Is there a, a particular tradition, mannerly tradition, that you think has gone by the board that you'd like to bring back just on the back of what I was saying or talking about there with Therese just a second ago I, I like that last bit she left us with that it is not good manners to point out bad manners it's confusing though you got to let them get away with it I don't know 0818 just we were asking earlier on this morning what you do with regard to uh, if you had Joe Biden in the car for two hours when he came to Cork they ring you and they say could you ever come and collect President Biden from the airport uh, we've got a problem um, <laughs> a few bits and pieces to come in but first this strange story two people out driving in the desert in Dubai and they come across something it looks a little strange. I speak of Ian Murphy from Kinsale and his partner Christine Wilson who were driving in the desert in Dubai and they spotted something strange and ended up the subjects of a viral social media video which I watched. Ian, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you doing? Good. Good to talk to you. You were out driving in the desert, and you came across a camel in difficulties. That's right. We uh, were, were driving from Dubai to Rasakamer, and we just spotted out the, the side of the road in the sand dunes near Little Lagoon. Uh, you know, we, we didn't really know what it was, but we said we'd take the opportunity to go and, you know, do a little bit of dune bashing, drive through the sand and go see what's up. And when we arrived, we just saw a, a female camel you know, big female camel buried down to her belly with her legs completely submerged in, in I don't know, what we would describe as quicksand because it just, she went straight down. Uh, so we decided we'd better get a, a shovel out and um, and give it a go. You know, dig this, dig the lady out. And like they're, they're big, beautiful creatures, but they've big teeth as well. Were you not afraid she'd bite you? <laughs> I gotta say, I was a little bit cautious coming up to her because uh, I've heard plenty stories of uh, 
camels doing a lot of damage, but she was in a very calm state and I just went up, gave her a pat on the head and she allowed me to come forward and, and just, you know, start digging. And that was, that was pretty intimate. And, you know, I was a little bit, uh, uh, I started from the back and worked my way forward. Yeah. Uh, but she was, she, and, she, she let me in. Well, they're highly intelligent creatures. So she clearly knew you were trying to help. And did somebody else come along and was, did it end up with a group effort in the end? Well, in the end, I, I was there for about 40 minutes and, you know, I, I was digging down as far as I could reach. You know, you, you, you really only appreciate how long their legs are <laughs> um, when you start trying to dig down and find the hook. But, uh, we were beginning to get a bit worried because um, we were next to the sea. Well, next to a, the the tide was coming in in this lagoon and the, the holes that I dug were filling up with water. And we were just thinking this uh, this might not work out. But two old local guys came around, uh, probably from, you know, a farm nearby or something like that. And they were like, what are you up to? Uh, so we said, we're trying to get this camel out. And I went, right. Did you did you cut the uh, the rope between her front legs? That was like the first thing we were going. Uh, didn't think about that because uh, we didn't, you know, recognize that the, generally they tie the ropes of the the camels here, the the front legs. Uh, okay. They tie a rope around the leg. So the camels so stop they them can't kind of gallop away, away, is it? Nice. Precisely. So we had to get a knife and chop that up, and uh, they made a few phone calls and. All of a sudden, over the sand dunes came a pickup truck with about 10 guys in it carrying shovels, and they just landed right in front of us and got straight to work. Um, it was a, a pretty impressive sight, lots of screaming and shouting, as you can imagine. Uh, a couple of, maybe too many uh, cooks in the kitchen, um, but we, <laughs> we dug down, and you know, if it, if it wasn't for them, we'd never have uh, got her out. Right, she, got, and, she was okay and, when she got out then, was she? Because I know well, they're, I know they're she, double jointed. Had she been in a, st- a standing position or a kneeling position? They kneel a lot. Her two legs, yeah, but her two legs went straight down. But because the front legs were tied, they were sort of you know in a kneeling position. So every time she then struggled, she kind of got herself further down into the into the sand. So uh, when when she got out. You know, her four legs, she couldn't get up for probably around 15 minutes or so. So to stretch out her legs and, and effectively she had, uh, you know, dead legs. Um, so I, I went up and uh, I gave her a, you know, I, I named her Stucky and gave her a little pat in the head. And then she um, she she hopped up and, 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 and kind of wandered away up into the sand dunes. So, did, uh, did someone try to give you a ghost to say thank you? Absolutely. Afterwards, the guys brought us back to wash up uh, at a at a farm. You know, probably about twenty minutes through the sand dunes. Uh, just a, a a simple small farm, and we, we washed up. And then they were like, "Thanks so much. Take this goat," um, <laughs> which we really wanted to do. But you know, we only have fake grass at our place, so I don't know what <laughs> it was going to eat. <laughs> Ian, what are yourself and Christine doing in that part of the world? in such an exotic well, life? Um, I'm a, a filmmaker out here, so I work, uh, I have a project coming out soon, uh, a documentary from South Sudan. Very good. And I also uh, uh, have completed a script for a, 
narrative feature film that I hope to shoot in Cork uh, and across Ireland next year. So I'm off to Cannes next week to, to finalise some funding partnerships. Right. So it's exciting times. Um, we're out here, you know, trying to live a life less ordinary. Yeah. And uh, Well, you certainly did you know, it that day anyway. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Um, but it was... It was pretty amazing because this is during Ramadan time and it's, you know, the guys are fasting all day. They don't have a, a drink of water from sunrise to sunset. So when, when they came in and it was hot, um, you know, they really went above and beyond to, to help get this guy out. All right. And um, just shows the community here. They, they, um, they all band together when they need to. It's, it's, it's a great story uh, and thank you for being available to us at the end of the line. Ian, from speaking to me from Dubai, where he's with his partner Christine, they end up rescuing a camel. I tell you, what did you, you do for the weekend? Oh, we dug a camel out of the sand, our camel out of the sand, as you do, like. Thanks, Ian. 0818 96 96 96. Right, come back to some stuff. Uh, etiquette. Yes, there's nothing worse than a floppy handshake. Yeah. I found people very polite here for the most part. Be thankful you don't live in America, says Jer. And then Paige sent us a message, listening to the radio about etiquette. A statement about poor eye contact, body language and non-verbal communications. There are things I strongly identify with as an autistic person. These are some of the main symptoms of autism. And I feel this attitude of shaming or shunning autistic people for not adhering to social cues... Uh, does more damage to us than trying to force us to behave in a more ethical manner, or etiquette <laughs> I'm sorry, Paige, I can't figure out. Etiquette-esque, I love it. Etiquette-esque, thanks. Yeah, and I, I must say that did sort of jar with me a little bit about what Therese was saying, that, you know, sometimes body language, there's, there's, a, there's a reason for it. There is a reason. Some people just can't look you in the eye, and it's, they literally can't, but they could be brilliant at the job. Thank you. On the driver's license, you can book an appointment. Remember I read out a message earlier on from someone, his wife wants to renew her driver's license and doesn't do online. She's not of that world. She's 80 years old. She's not of that world. And she felt that you can't just walk in and do it like you used to in the old time. Well, you can book an appointment. So I just checked that WhatsApp message. Licenses are a pure mess. It's a waiting list for the public service card to apply and then a wait to get waiting again. Yeah, I had to get a public service card a few years ago because I was availing of uh, I was availing of something on, on the tax, some tax rebate. It was a VAT rebate that was running at the time. We did our kitchen up at home. We were able to get some VAT back, and but I had to have a public service card to get it. So that's why I have one, and um, you need one to get a license. Apparently, hi PJ, you can book an appointment with the office in Cork and Mallow. I was in Mallow last month. I don't have that card. It's not compulsory. I was given a time slot. I waited and I was seen to. I paid with my card, photo taken, and got it in the post a week afterwards. Says Mick in Ovens. Thank you for that. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96FM. We'll talk for a few minutes about a project called Crossroads. And uh, with me to do that is uh, Thomas Heising. I hope I have your name correctly, Thomas. 
You do, you do. Thank you, PJ. Tell me about Crossroads. Tell me from the very start, what is it? Yeah, so after the the murder of George Floyd over in the U.S. um, here during the start of the pandemic, people got really interested in the topic of racism, um, even though, you know, it's been a longstanding issue for a long time. And a lot of projects, including Crossroads, then kind of started to investigate what does racism look like, you know, localized racism. And this aims to look at specifically racism in the LGBTQ plus community here in Cork. Okay. And is... you, you are a, a person of colour within that group. Um, yeah. Do you experience racism in, around the streets of Cork, oh. Thomas? So I would have experienced small amounts, but I wouldn't have personally uh, experienced anything in the calibre of my participants. Uh, so I interviewed nine participants over the course of two or three months, and I was really shocked in terms of what they'd experienced and also people who have grown up who are Irish but are of color and the kind of discrimination and othering that they would experience, which completely sidelines my little few, the few encounters I've had, you know. So it was more giving them the voice and putting some research onto what is the magnitude of it. What kind of things have they experienced? So there is name calling on the street, which is surprising for a lot of people, but it does happen. There are these kind of neglect, if you can kind of say, so, so someone who is of color, who's Irish, would experience a lot of, um, people were saying, oh, you're too dark to be Irish or sure, Irish people are white and have this, you know, eradicating basically their overriding their Irish identity. It would be workplace discrimination or other kinds of forms of discrimination in certain organizations or institutions. It happens across the board. Yeah. There's a few things that are mentioned within your, within your campaign literature uh, about how white people can help how yes we can help and i would have to say for myself that i would i would like to think that if i was ever racist it would be accidental mm. entirely accidental mm. would you accept it's, it's, thomas that when people are racist it is accidental a lot of the time 100 percent. also because i usually make a case of saying like even we people of color i can be um, a discriminatory towards each other because we all grew up in the same society that teaches us to be racializing and othering and discriminatory. So it's a way of then seeing through research like this, for instance, way of seeing, okay, how does it look like? What is the effect and what consequences does it have for our society so that we can all then be observing and say, oh, this is what I'm doing. This is the effect that it has on other people because it does happen subconsciously, as you said, accidentally as well at times. Of course, there are what you call fools who would be, you know, the ones who you'd go in the street and then do the name calling. But a lot of the times, a lot of the racialization can is something that we don't really notice unless someone actually says, look, this is discriminatory. It's hurtful and it breaks my day, if you could say like that. Can I explore something with you? Um, Absolutely. And, and, And I'll do this with great care because I understand that it is considered something one should not say. But if I were to say, you know, your colour means nothing to me, Thomas. Mm-hmm. Or I don't yeah. I don't perceive colour. I see Thomas and all he brings to mm. the room and all I don't see his his colour. Why mm. is that and problematic that, for me to say? Yeah, I can definitely so for a lot of people they of colour, I would say actually all people of colour in a predominantly white uh, society if you could say like that. 
um, would have experienced that their color or their, their appearance is a factor whenever they step into a room. So when someone says that, it comes across as quite unbelievable. Now, I do get the gist of it is that you don't particularize the fact that the person is brown or dark-skinned. Yeah. You're particularizing who the person is exactly. But saying that, it's like you spend your entire life being pointed out for your skin color and then someone says that it's a very hard thing to believe i personally don't take personal offense to it but there are a lot of people who there are some people that would be traumatized from it um and of course it's about communication i was um you know i have to also in certain circles also be mindful of how i communicate to other people sure. for for instance if i'm not so it's you know it's a matter of language it's a matter of talking it's a matter of communication and finding out oh as you did there, asking me a question, hey, what effect does this sentence mm. have mm. on you when I say it? Yeah, like To me, I would see Thomas and talk to Thomas, and I'd, I take no mm. account of the colour of Thomas's skin. But that, mm. I, you know, I, I, I would be surprised if some people would find that offensive, but if they do, they do. And, and that brings mm. us to the, the, the other question. Like how can us white people, for want of a better expression, how can we help? How can we understand and be allies as the word goes nowadays yeah i think it's a matter of it at all like it's it's across the board and that's also what i was opening up with in that sense that we all need to do something about this and i do think that i don't want guilt to be the end goal a lot of people feel as if oh i'm meant to feel guilty because of what uh, what you say, oh, what white people have done to the world and stuff. But no, what I want is for people to say, oh, okay, actually, I realize that there are legislative and there are institutional systematized ways that discrimination function, even in Ireland, and realizing those things. And then working from then on and saying, it's, I, I don't believe necessarily that we should all be going around fearing what to say. I do think we should all be able to have a conversation as we're having right now. But there are some realities out there. And I think the research that I was trying to do seeks to highlight some of these structural, culturally structural, politically uh, structural and institutional structural, you know, ways that we perceive other people from other countries the whole idea of why we see white people as being fundamentally better than brown people it just it's it's a concept that has been exported to the rest of the world from european countries yeah you i get the sense that you feel and your research seems to the people you researched seem to believe that we are educated to think that mm. yeah absolutely yeah so um i just how it's apparent with, you know, I make the example also of saying how Irish, how Irish people are brought up in school. You are taught in Irish school that you have been at the receiving end of various forms of discriminatory structures and even like, you know, conflicts um, going from the famine to the landlord wars to the independence to war of independence to the troubles. There's always been a narrative of struggle and that feeds into a child growing up as well. The same way how in a lot of European countries, we would teach children that Africans and most tropical countries would have been subjected to colonialism and that builds into the mentality. So one thing is, of course, the historical accounts of things. But another thing is also how do we then build on that legacy and say, no, no, that's not all there is to these countries, for instance. So that's a way of through education, informing racialization, informing ideas of white being better than black or brown, for instance. Okay. 
the you can read into more detail on gayproject.ie and you've got a lot of information there, the findings of, of the survey. It's certainly, do you know what it is, Thomas? It is food for thought. It is, yeah, it is. There's a lot to kind of go through. There, there is, is, absolutely. We could talk about it all day. So, but um, yeah, thanks a lot for tapping into it. It really, it really means a lot. No, uh, my pleasure. Thank you. That's Thomas Heising um, and Crossroads. If you want to read more about it, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult, it's a delicate conversation because you've got to be so conscious that you could inadvertently offend somebody and, and one would never want to do that. Uh, and there's a lot of reading in there. So I, I'd encourage you to take a look. Uh, gayproject.ie and you'll find Crossroads. Uh, it's just a way of, I guess, being better, being better neighbours and friends in a changing island. 0818 96 96 96. I think, did I tell you at nine o'clock? I don't think I did. I just did the, we are really in serious countdown mode now. It's 16 days to the start of the Giving for Living Radiothon. 16 days. And we're raising funds for Cork Cancer Services. And once again, we need your help. We want you to organize a coffee break, do it at work, do it at home. Get a change collector box, wear your jersey to work with a big jersey day. So to work, to school, wherever you want to wear your jersey, Friday, March 27th. Doesn't matter what jersey it is, just wear one to school, to work, to the office, wherever. And you can get on to 96m.ie and sign up for a fundraising pack. All the information is there. And we look forward, with bated breath as it were, to the start of the Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon, May 26th to 28th. Only on Cork's 96 FM, 16 days from now. Uh, PJ, my dad, Jim Murphy, and myself, Angela, would bring Joe Biden to the Passage West Maritime Museum, then on to Ferry Point in Glenbrook, where Joe Biden's ancestors left from. Oh, really? Because they never, they never miss an opportunity to plug the lovely museum in Passage West. Morning, PJ. I'm 10 minutes from the airport. I collect Joe, bring him to my home, have a cuppa. His security will come back later and pick him up and get clearance for me. Never mind the Blarney Stone. I've swallowed a piece of it. Thanks as always, says Bear. And I, <laughs> Jerry and Grange, I love this. This is the this is the message of the day. I would bring Joe Biden zip lining in Farron Woods. <laughs> nice one, Jerry. 0818, that's the best one. I'd bring him zip lining in Farron Woods. He's nearly 80, for goodness sake. I'd bring him zip lining in Farron Woods. 0818, 96, 96, 96. There's a musical coming to town this week that has been just crushing it all over the UK and has embarked on a sellout tour of, of Ireland. And it stars, uh, one of the stars of one of my all-time favourite comedy shows. Uh, I picked up on Benny Dorm way, way, way late to the table. I picked up on it actually early in lockdown on Netflix. I just said, for the sheer hell of it, I'll watch this. And I was wondering, like, how stupid is this? How mad and daft is this? It ran for 10 series and it turned out to be one of my, one of my favourite shows of all time. And Chrissy Rock, who played Janie. <laughs> Hiya, Chrissy. <laughs> Are you PJ UK? I used to love her. I used to absolutely love her. And I used to think, if any place I ever went to on holidays, you know, I wanted Janie behind the counter because she didn't give a damn. She didn't give a damn. No. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I talk about menopause in just a sec, Chrissy, but what was it about Benidorm? Like, it should never have survived the first six episodes. It was so... I know, but... 
It was it's brilliant. a surreal to life for Benidorm, though, wasn't it? We've all seen him. We've all been there. We've all sat at a pool going, who are these people? I know. And when, it, when I came back to do, when I come out of the shadows and come and I said, actually, I missed all the beer bellies and the tattoos, and that was just the women. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's let the oh my God, sake, yeah, that that, that uh, oh, some of the characters, like Kenneth and them all, the great characters. But Chrissy, you know, after Bened, after Benidorm, there's like there's life after 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 television. And tell me about this musical show. This, I mean, would I be? I mean, am I allowed in as a fella? Yeah, yeah. I think men should come just to see by the wives and trying to like bash them over the head with plates. <laughs> Yeah, you can't they're all sitting there freezing while the wives going, I'm lost and I'm out open the windows. Oh <laughs> I'm burning. Yeah. I mean it, like it's, it's not it's not, it, it's not a funny part of anybody's life. No. But no, it isn't because I, it's, yeah, go on. it's it's everywhere now. It's really becoming like where people are being allowed to come off work because they get um all nervous and they're crying and they don't feel well. And I mean, years ago, women like us, menopausal women, were probably burnt at the stake. And now we've got aisles and aisles of shampoo, <laughs> women's products to stop you from having menopause. Oh, have you got the menopause? Use the shampoo. <laughs> you still don't wait. And, it, and it's all in the news as well because there's a shortage of meds and all this kind yeah. of stuff. But, but I, I guess it's it's such an identifiable show. Yeah, it, it is. And it's the four of us are playing four di- there's, um, there's, um, movie star, soap star, a housewife, and uh, she comes along with her husband's ashes. She takes them everywhere with her. And he's been dead five years, and she doesn't know how to let go of him. <laughs> and there's me, eighth mother, who's like thinks he's very calm and very zen, and her husband keeps phoning her up on this cruise. <laughs> and then you've got a power woman who's worked all her life, and she said, um, "I could run a multi-million pound business, but I couldn't run an egg and spoon race." And how sad now a life, a son now. You know, he's got married and she's become invisible, you know, yeah. to him. It's about friendship, and it's really, all these, isn't it? And yeah, yeah. And these friends come together after five years and they're discussing how their lives are. And and it's a musical. And these, I mean, Nicky French was in the Eurovision Song That's Contest. Right. Rebecca Wheatley is fabulous. Um, fabulous voice. She was in Casualty. That's right. And then you've got Susie Fennick. She's been in Cats, Lamez, all the West End musicals. Yeah. And, and, and here's me. I've never you did been in a school choir. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> Oh, and the, the biggest joy in my life was when I found me diaphragm. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know your diaphragm was in your chest. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> I was wondering what when you yeah, were talking about. I had to learn to breathe. I know, I was watching my diaphragm. What do you mean? So it's, I'm going, oh, I found me diaphragm. <laughs> it's because I had two singing lessons. And apparently it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. <laughs> so um, I'm quite, I'm quite, Honoured to be part of it because it's very funny, very clever, and all the songs are written by a man. Oh, really? 
So they're, yeah, they're rewrites yeah, so, of pop songs, aren't they? The, yeah, yeah, but then the the, the changed. Do you know what I mean? That yeah. that the, the they're not the way you'd sing them if they were them. They had to get clearance for them and everything. I'm sure they But did. they're just a little bit changing, changing in them. But I tell you, we've gone all over England. We've come to Ireland and I've absolutely had the best time. I feel like I've got a family spiritual home. I've been all around the world and I've never felt like this anywhere I've ever been. Right. And I feel so. everyone's so calm and, you know, laid back and you don't panic to go well it is what it is there you go. There you, we've, <laughs> we've had to deal with a lot of that you're in the everyman from Tuesday to four, the, the 10th to Saturday 14th yeah. That's this week good luck with it Chrissy I'm a whole pop me head around the door to have a look at it and I'd love to talk to oh, you about you things will. like Leslie and Kenneth and all those guys at another time but Chrissy oh. thank you very much Chrissy Rock formerly of Benidorm now at Menopause the Musical 2 touring this week and coming to Cork to everyone for, for four nights and if it's any bit as funny as she is It'll be a great show. That's it. We're done. We're out of time. See you tomorrow just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie.